Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast exclusively dedicated to everything to do with the Copa Libertadores, of course, South America's premier club competition. And this week on the pod, myself, David Windsor, and Mr. Oliver Wilson discuss Palmeiras in the Club World Cup and everything kind of disastrous that happened there. But as well as discussing Palmeiras, at least somehow we managed to fit in conversations on global warming, Bitcoin, your DIY, Penencas, Nacho Fernandez moving to Brazil, Marcelo Gachado, Guarani, the Libertadores first round of qualifying. But if you are a Palmeiras fan, and of course, Christian, we had Palmeiras fan Christian discussing everything that went on in the Club World Cup. So, yeah, there was something for everyone in this melting pot of a pot. I think we're just seeing the expansion of the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast. Not only are we the best and only English language football podcast dedicated to South America's grandest club oh, yeah. competition. We're starting to throw in a bit of news from around the place as well. You know, we had a little bit of discussion about Hernan Crespo and Abel Ferreira and who you'd rather take Crespo's move to Sao Paulo, to Brazilian football after leaving Defensa Justicia this week. You mentioned Nacho Fernandez as well on his imminent departure from River Plate. You know, we're, we are expanding all the time. We expanded a little bit too much getting into the grander schemes of things like global warming and stuff. But, you know, every so often we just need to step back and get level-headed. And that's kind of what Palmeiras fans ended up having done to them this week. They just need to step back after the Copa Libertadores win and get level-headed again because it was a very disappointing Club World Cup for them. We will always seek on the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast to be as humble as Ronnie's run-up for his penalty in the shootout. That I guarantee. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the pod. Going to get back to the edge of the box. Oh, that is an absolute scorcher. Matthias Enrique has never scored in continental competitions. He has now. Aranga pulls the trigger. A Racing Club look like they're going to be the only Argentinian side to win in week one of the Copa Libertadores group stage. I feel really ridiculous after going out on the limb of like, maybe they could compete with Bayern if they played them. And we'll get into why that isn't the case at all. Before we talk about Palmeiras' misery in the Club World Cup, I can't not start this podcast without a rant about penalties and specifically Honey's penalty against Al-Ali in that third and fourth place playoff volley. We've talked about it on the pod before. This bizarre, pretty crap and totally ineffective method that players seem to have, and it's only come out in the last, I reckon, two to three years, maybe five years at a push, of this odd stuttered run-up and the hop, skip and a jump penalty, right? It's a new thing. Yeah, it's definitely a new thing. It was, I mean, we've had this debate of when it started previously on the podcast because we noticed it a lot. I think it was last year in the Copa Libertadores. Mm. And it was just about the time when the Panenka in Europe was becoming unfashionable because we were all getting suddenly sick and tired of this trend of, you know, whoever's the big I am on any major European footballing side in either the Champions League or European international competitions or anything like that. Whoever was the big name, would you'd see them lining up for a, in a penalty, in a penalty shootout, and you'd think, yeah, he's penenkering it. 
because it was it just became like the fashionable oh look at me i can win a penalty shootout with a penenka in the fifth penalty in a do or die moment how good is that and now in south american football this is the new modus operandi for the supposed big dogs to try and look cool on the on the big stage and yeah. i mean the, the odd run up and the hop skip a jump it is the new penenka and i think like the penenka came about in is it Euro 76, right? With the Czech player Penenka producing it. And the whole point of the Penenka is that it's an unusual, rare thing to do, right? So you trick the goalkeeper. The whole point in the Penenka is that it's it's something completely unexpected. And so when the Penenka became massively overused in Europe, its value completely diminished. And now this hop, skip and a jump penalty, which has taken over the uh, Penenka, has followed the same vibe. And I just think that... Like, zooming out really far, early in life generally and in football, scarcity determines value, right? That's why yeah. cigarettes and jail are valuable. That's why Bitcoin is valuable. Like, scarcity dictates value. And a Penenka is valuable because it's scarce. And if you do it all the time, then goalkeepers cotton on. It's the same with the hop, skip and jump penalty. To be honest, I didn't even find it funny, Hoddy's penalty. I thought it was ridiculous and it just annoyed me. Like, what is he doing? Like, what's he actually doing? It's this surreal round-the-houses run-up. Then he's kind of jogging on the spot for ages, approaches the penalty, stops, hops, skip, and a jump, and just passes it to the goalkeeper. It's so, so odd. And, uh, yeah, I, I just didn't really understand it, especially a player like Honey, who we spoke at length about how fantastic he was in the in the Copa Libertadores, and that shouldn't be taken away. The five goals, eight assists, the assist for the winning goal in the final. He's riding this wave of confidence and momentum. To do that in a shootout, I thought, was was really, really odd. And, and, and the game's, you know, football's ultimate success is, it, is its simplicity. And it needs to be stamped out with penalties. The bizarre, the overcomplicated nature of, of, of penalties needs to, be, needs to be stamped out quickly. It, it just really got me, this shootout. I don't know whether it's been bubbling for a long period of time, Ollie, but I just thought you're 12 yards out, you're a professional footballer, just put it in the back of the net. It's odd. You say it doesn't affect Honey's kind of legacy to an extent. I kind of think it does, though, because it shows off that frustrating ego that a lot of these players sometimes have um, in world football in general. And it's something that I really dislike because to take a penalty like that in that moment is you're putting yourself almost above the team because you're deciding to do something that there is nothing about that run-up that really confuses 99% of goalkeepers, I don't think. I, I, I don't know personally. I haven't asked many professional goalkeepers about it. But in the same way that if you know a guy is taking a Penenka, it is the easiest thing to look down the lens of and pick out of the air. That run-up does nothing to bamboozle, I don't think, any goalkeeper 90% of the time. So now you're doing something that is potentially going to harm your team for the sake of just when you're in a penalty shootout like that, you just need to be finding the back of the net. It's not about looking good on the, on the big stage. It's about getting the job done. And Palmeiras, just to kind of go out a bit, in general in this tournament, was so bad that this highlights and puts an exclamation point on two really poor performances for the neutral fan to watch. And, and I think they're quite tough as well for Palmeiras fans in general. And whereas if Honey steps up and just slots it away, it's not as much of an exclamation point on this lackluster tournament that Palmeiras have had. It's more of a, okay, yeah, you know, 
they still gave it their all in the penalty shootout. You're unlucky with the lottery of penalties. This removes some of that chat about being unlucky in the lottery of penalties. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point that trying to make something about you when it should be about the team surely goes against the fundamental the fundamental things you're taught in the game. And especially in a Club World Cup, this, this globalised tournament where he, he knows that a lot of different eyes are on him. And he's had such a fantastic tournament. It's interesting because if you're if you're a scout and you're looking at Honey and you're looking at his statistics and the Coppa Libertadores, his performances, certainly one of, if not the best player in the tournament, you might be right. You might be a scout and thinking, okay, he did all this in the Coppa Libertadores, but at a key moment, he's made a terrible decision. And decision-making is, is such a big part of the game. So, yeah, it was a horrible moment for him and a really a really odd moment. I know you you also, we were talking off-pod about Luis Adriano's penalty. And listen, the whole shootout was a bit of a mess in terms of missed penalties. Luis Adriano's penalty's poor, but it's not on the same... It's different to Ronnie's, right? The the Luis Adriano penalty isn't a grandiose about me moment. No. What's frustrating about Luis Adriano's penalty is that... Crap. It's rubbish. He's tried to place it with the instep and he's missed the target. And missing the target in a penalty shootout mm. when you're not even putting your foot through it is kind of criminal. For who is basically one of these star centre forwards, not just in that team, but on the continent of South America, you would put Luis Adriano up there with some of, at least on paper, the best centre forwards throughout South American football. So... You know, everybody has bad moments. I don't want to be like, oh, he's obviously a terrible player because sure. of that. I'm not saying Honey's a terrible player because yeah, of that likewise, and doesn't deserve yeah. moves or anything. But it's just about executing in big moments is what separates the good from the great. And both of those two players that we thought could be great players for Palmeiras and definitely have it in their locker because they've shown it so many times. For them to come up so short in such a, an emphatic way was both surprising and really disappointing in, as I say, a disappointing week, really, for uh, for the Green Giant. Yeah, listen, I've been critical there of, of Ronnie. And, and I think... Slamming him is... in front of the scouts, Windsor. I mean, you're <laughs> saying, he's never getting that move to Europe now. He's gone. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's... Uh, it, like, look, I'm a huge Ronnie fan with, with what he did. I was a Ronnie fan before this, the, the, you know, before the this year's... This year's tournament of the Copa Libertadores, of course, and uh, yeah, he was fantastic in the Copa Libertadores. It's just for me, it's just it's just a moment that will stick with me. That's hard to it's hard to see that anything to do with that six or seven seconds prior to him taking the spot kick was about being a team player and helping Palmeiras do well. You know, he just in, in that in that in that run up, I think he does expose himself slightly. And he might have thought, look, if I could just do this kind of really weird penalty and slot at home, maybe I'll get remembered a bit more. I don't know. It, it was really odd. Um, and it it also, without wishing to to, to use Froddy's disastrous penalty as a kind of microcosm of, of other things wrong with a beautiful game, it does worry me slightly that we try and overcomplicate football. And I know, you know, um, video technology certainly, I think, done that. It's kind of scratched at what? makes football so simple and so pure and so easy on the eye. But uh, listen, ultimately, he missed the penalty. The world will keep spinning and they're still Libertadores champions. Yeah, and uh, that can never be taken away from them. But what you can look at is, as I say, the the frustration of this tournament potentially promised a lot for Palmeiras. And there's always the expectation of 
play the European side. And they haven't. No South American side, I don't think, has ever finished fourth. Yeah. It's always been third or higher. And Palmeiras haven't achieved that. They've set a record low in the Club World (laughs) Cup for South American football. And they're the first Brazilian club never to score at a Club World Cup as well, I think. Um, Which isn't particularly pretty. But yeah, the first South American team to finish fourth. It's not great. This was this was something I actually pointed out to uh, to my old man because I was I was doing some DIY in my living room off uh, while the penalty shootout was going on, and so he basically heard me while I was on the phone with him doing DIY and trying to watch the football. He just heard me being like, oh, "Are you kidding me?" Like properly bemoaning this side after a really drab ninety minutes. You know, you take you take two and a bit hours out of your day to watch a fairly niche competition in the Club World Cup, particularly in the UK. You know, thank thank goodness the BBC had it at least on their red button. Mm. Um, and, you know, look, I think we're all understanding that life is fairly short and precious at the moment with everything that's going on around the world. <laughs> we're getting... I love how esoterical. <laughs> we've got, it's 11.31 on a Friday morning and uh, we're into about 95th week of... Or well, yeah, a uh, week of lockdown and yeah, Ollie and I are already trying to yeah scale out and look at the um the but fundamentals you... of the universe. Yeah, life is precious and short and valuable. Take a proper penalty. But you look at it and it's yeah, I don't know. It's uh, two hours of my day watching that, and I mean, was I did I enjoy those two hours? No, for so many reasons. Sure. And then. My dad's like, oh, but I thought you liked this Palmeiras side. I thought, you know, you were telling me after they beat River <laughs> that they were a really good team and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, well, I, I did say that. And I completely regret <laughs> regret saying anything like that to you now because they haven't scored in two games. They haven't looked like they were going to score in two games. And they've gone out through a ridiculously inadequate performance in a penalty shootout. Five shots. That's all you need to do. Five shots to at least hit the target. Hmm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the games then, Ollie. I mean, it's probably not worth overanalyzing the minutiae of Tigres beating them by a goal to nil, or of course the nil-nil in the third and fourth place playoff. Anything to? Th- I mean, Weberton played quite well, made some good saves across those two games. Yeah, I. You could maybe argue that the the defensive line has showed that they're still fairly solid but you wouldn't sure. have expected them to be tested by either of these two sides that much I mean you know we were giving Gignac the, the big one going into that semi-final against Tigres and you know he popped up and scored and you knew he was going to be the person if anybody was going to score for the Mexican side it was probably going to be him so I I understand and kind of get why you'd say Weverton and Luan and Gomez, etc. I mean, it was basically the starting eleven from the Copa Libertadores final that started that semi-final. So you assumed that Abel Ferreira is going with his best side. But it's attacking-wise that they didn't show up. And again, that's four games in a row now that we've watched them where going forward they've done nothing, pretty much. Aside from the goal in the, in the final against Santos. Interesting, yeah. But that's four straight games under Abel Ferreira. Four huge games where defensive, defensively they've been fairly solid. Yeah, you can't... Against River Plate, they got torn apart. But the final in these two games, defensively very solid. So you can't pick them apart too much for conceding one goal in three games. But you can... I think the, the real worry is looking at them going forward and how once more a Brazilian side has played well within itself going forward in, in this competition and, and in, in general. Do you think that because of... 
the quality that Flamengo had in their squad in the previous year in the Copa Libertadores, Oli, and the way in which in the Club World Cup they did push Liverpool pretty hard, Flamengo. Do you think it's perhaps now reverting back to type? I mean, the reality is that it's very difficult for so many reasons for Brazilian clubs to match the, the ridiculous financial might and prestige that European clubs have. And not just, I appreciate the Palmeiras didn't play against the European side, but just on, you know, outside of the continent. And perhaps if Flamengo, we, we've said it numerous times, that we were spoiled a little bit by that kind of quality. And it, it's unrealistic to expect South America to produce a Flamengo every year. It's definitely or do you a... think the fact that, that you know that they were they weren't playing European opposition Palmeira, so that that's a you know that they should be judged according. It's definitely unrealistic to expect a Flamengo side that we saw last year, every single year in South American football. I don't think it's necessarily something that we should look at and, and levy against Brazil in general, though. Considering the changes that are being made in Brazilian football, the amount of money in Brazilian football, there should be a Brazilian side that can compete with the best sides on the planet in this tournament. You know, the, the fact that against Bayern, uh, you imagine Palmeiras would have been slaughtered against Bayern Munich, to be yeah. honest, in their performances in this in this tournament. Whereas I don't think that Flamengo side of last year would have been because they took on one of the best attacking sides that we've ever seen in that mm. Liverpool side last year and played very well against them and stifled them quite a lot. But so I think it's I think it's a bit frustrating and worrying for Brazilian football that outside of Flamengo, you know, the best team in Brazil this year, or at least in the South American football this year, isn't able to come anywhere close to the best that Africa and, and Central America have to offer, which is yeah. a minimum expectation of both Brazilian football and I imagine Comibol. I mean, Comibol will be, I guess, frustrated by this because it doesn't really put South American football on the map in general. And instead, you look at it, any Brazilian side going into that tournament, you would look at and think, yeah, this is a chance for them to put themselves on the world stage. And it, and it hasn't been the case. Before we uh, go too much further down the line, let's have a listen to uh, Christian Bengston, our Palmeiras fan, and what he had to say uh, after the semi-final loss to Tigres and, and the frustration, I think, that he and Palmeiras fans have had when it comes to watching this Club World Cup. One of those games where you felt that you could have 180 minutes and the ball would still not find its way into the into the net. And we had a few of those from Palmeiras recently. I don't know if it's the fatigue. I don't know if it's uh, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't a, a a terrible performance, but it was far from the pacey, confident team we've we've seen uh, a few weeks back with triangulations and, and uh, missing a lot of opportunities but still getting a few balls in there and, and this this time we weren't even that close there were a couple of balls that maybe could have gone our way if, if we'd been a bit lucky a bit of a a letdown there for Palmerenses all over the world but um, this is not to diminish the the hurt but I'd say that most of us are still, you know, a bit riding the wave of the Libertadores final and are very pleased with that victory. And in any case, knew that, you know, whatever happens in the Mundial, the FIFA Club World Cup Championship, that's that's a bonus. Personally, I, I, 
I regret that we will not see Palmeiras against Bayern because it's always nice to to play against the very very best and uh, of course the the visibility for a Brazilian team to be seen by the whole of the world that would be a tremendous thing yeah I think what Christian's saying there is what I was trying to get to the frustration of Brazilian football not being in the shop window and not being shown off is something that actually I you would argue damages Brazilian football's reputation and obviously it's not a disaster no you know? no no one's going to look at Brazilian football and be like, oh, it's a chump league or anything like that. But it is frustrating, I think, for South American football fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Oli as well. I think that I was just, while you were talking there, sorry, I was just reflecting on, I was thinking, Jesus, have we been too harsh on the Copa Libertadores champions here? But I think when you become champions of a continent, you, you're placing yourself on a different pedestal, right? And you're opening yourself up to a different level of praise and criticism. Like mm-hmm. if you're if you are the and we and we do the exact same thing, Ollie. If Bayern Munich crashed out of the Club World Cup, wouldn't we? In fact, we would have gone way harder on them. You know, the fact is, if you win the tournament that suggests you are the best side on an entire continent, that is fantastic, and you get all the accolades, the 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 finances, the prestige, the support from that. But it also takes you onto a different platform where you are there to to be criticised because you're, you're, you're the best side in the, you've won that competition you're the best side in the concert so I do think it's fair that we're, we're criticising them I would just say you know I saw that Palmeiras have nine games within a month within 30 days something like that so it's an absolutely crazy amount of fixtures they've had uh, but listen if they could win the Copa de Brazil against Gremio to back up that Copa Libertadores triumph considering Abba Ferreira's been there for a split second it is still an amazing, amazing few months for Palmeiras and the Club World Cup will just be seen as a, a little little scratch on the copybook. Yeah, um, and, and again, Christian saying, you know, everybody seems to be still just loving and yeah. living the life from the Libertadores final victory. And the fact that that was so close to the Club World Cup, it could have also been super detrimental into preparation for the Club World Cup. Everybody's mm. still flying high from, you know, you're kings of South America. And I'm sure Palmeiras probably in those moments cared more about that necessarily than a Club World Cup championship. If you have more time to build up to it, maybe the emphasis could be on that even more. But you want to enjoy the moment of Gloria Eterna at the end of the day. Yeah. So I think that that could definitely come into it. Again, though, you talk about opening yourself up for more criticism. Abel Ferreira... You know, this Palmeiras side was banging in goals at the beginning of the tournament. And they were banging in goals when they played poor opposition in the knockout stages once Abel Ferreira had taken over. But it, does, it is a bitter taste in the mouth, the, those last four games. And how much of it is him? I, I, I wouldn't sure. necessarily be able to answer that question. Yeah, But it, it has been painfully obvious that Palmeiras are more of a counter-attacking side than a proactive side going forward under his tenure. And it's something that has been mentioned. You know, they like to hit on the counter more than anything else. But if there's no plan B and no ability to be on the front foot, then that's a problem. Mm. It's interesting, Ollie, that when, when a manager comes in and lifts a big trophy straight away, 
of course you give them credit, right? But at the same time, I think you'd be slightly naive not to think, oh, perhaps you can separate those two things. I'm trying to think of a European... Um, Roberto Di Matteo. I was just about to say that. That was it. That's exactly it. Yeah. You know, he, and that don't take anything away. We're on the Champions League. I mean, don't take anything away from that. But it doesn't make you a great manager. It means you've had a great accomplishment, but it doesn't, I don't think, make you necessarily fundamentally a good coach. Whether Abba Ferreira is that, we will find out in 2021 because... You know, he's, he's, he'll have a significant period of grace. But as we know, things change very, very quickly in football. So so let's let's see how he gets on in the Copa do Brazil final against Grêmio. And even if they lose that 6-0, he's not going to lose his job. But we'll see throughout the fullness of 2021 how good he is as a head coach. If you had a side going into the Copa Libertadores for 2021 Windsor and you had a choice of two managers, Abel Ferreira or Hernan Crespo, at this point in time, I would take Hernan Crespo because he he launched that defence at Justicia side through the Sudamericana. They played well in the Copa Libertadores and only just dropped out of the group stage. And it's his journey and his game plan. Abel Ooh. Ferreira was dropped in, did a quick hit, and it's not been that impressive. <laughs> that's a, that's, it's a really interesting point. And Hernan Crespo has a has this kind of reputation now of bouncing around, and I know he's very strongly linked to Sao Paulo. He's taking Sao the Paolo. job with Sao Paulo. Yeah. Did he take it? Apparently so. so. Saw, yeah, okay. So I, I saw he was right on the edge of that, and he's obviously a coach that that doesn't mind sort of jumping ship quickly. And listen, we spoke about it. You win the Sudamericana with defensive Justicia, it's, it's totally understandable to do that. Be fascinated to see how he gets on in Brazilian football. Um, out of the two of them, oh, I don't know. But I think the way Defensa Justicia played in the Copa Libertadores, as well as the Sudamericana, yeah, I, th- I think it's a fair thing to say, Oli. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure there's anything else we can, as I say, picking apart the minutiae of the performances no, for Palmeiras, not really needing to be done. Um, you know, a lot of changes in that third and fourth place playoff as well. So I just think it, it that kind of shows, once they were out at the semi-final stage after that first game against Tigres, I mean, that's that was the, there wasn't the heart there. For that second that second game of the tournament. Um and congratulations to Luis, our Tigres fan, who nailed the score for the semi final, one nil perfectly. Yep. And uh, you know, losing to Bayern Munich by only one goal to nil is sure. no no small feat. So yeah. Well done, Luis. <laughs> yeah, no, it'd be like, you know, I spoke about it on the last pod about how I have no reference points to Mexican football, Lolly, at all. It's not something I grew up with. It's not something that I've ever been involved in apart from working on it in a very small capacity years ago. So, yeah, it's it's always been a strange one to me that a country the size of Mexico, with big football heritage as well, has, has, in terms of European interest, really just isn't there at all. So it's one to watch. And, you know, it's, a, it's probably a 10-part podcast series of should Mexican clubs and MLS clubs come into the Copa Libertadores not I I think well I'm not going to open that door or we'll save it for another day but yeah geography might just mean it's geography and global warming might just mean that that, yeah, that you, proves to be do you want that impossible. midweek trip from Buenos Aires to Vancouver and back <laughs> I mean what are we doing here yeah it's bad yeah, enough yeah. we've got a world cup coming up which is Mexico um, America and Canada sure That's, there are going to be some long trips in that world cup I I also Again, not to zoom too far out of out of the sport we love, Ollie, but I do wonder about sport, not in the next five or ten years, but in the next twenty to thirty years, 
in, in terms of people just flying all over the place, right? You know, you've either got to build airplanes that don't ruin the planet or you're going to have to, you know, I don't think it'll be a free-for-all, not just for professional sports people, but um, for anyone, I think in sort of 20, 30 years time, I don't think you'll be able to just fly unlimited around the world. But that's that's a, a question. It's for um, I, I, my whole thing with it now is just if we're traveling this much for things like, you know, Sao Paulo to Qatar is a uh, is a long trip and, mm. and back again. Any sort of discussion about player tiredness when the teams are actively doing this? I mean, it's been a thing yeah. I've had in my a feather in the, no, be in the bonnet. There we go. Not a feather in the cap. Be in the bonnet around English teams when they say they're tired. But as soon as the season's over, they fly off to Asia to do like a mini tournament in Asia and things like that. It's like, well, rest, have your pre-season in the UK. Don't go flying all over the planet and then expect me to care when you're saying that it's tired and the travel schedule is too much during the regular season, which is when you should be actually focusing on things like travel and playing games. I mean, I was talking more about saving the, you know, the... the, the no, the I want to save the dignity of football. <laughs> Something about icebergs <laughs> and sea level and David Attenborough and things like that. I, I was thinking more along those lines in terms of the, the mass travel that, that football... It's all tug-in-cheek with you Windsor anyway, this sort of thing, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, we're, not, we're not far away from the start of the Copa Libertadores 2021, Dave. I'm excited, man. I seriously find, i find I'm it seriously weird excited i love uh, not to get too nostalgic but i actually really loved covering the tournament from the and commentating on the games in the first round of qualifying last year because it's like you're there right at the start and you know it's heartbreaking that probably won't be able to get an opportunity to do that this year but yeah it's great because you see it at its beginning and this it's it's if we could just glance slightly ahead to to those rounds of qualification ollie the first stage, there's three ties. Second stage, there's eight ties. It gets bloated. Then it gets condensed again to four ties. And then that eventually makes up the groups. But if we just look ahead, just scan over the first round of qualification to, to look to the second stage of qualification where it really comes alive, Oli. And I was looking down the list of clubs that are there, right? Libertad, huge Paraguayan club. San Lorenzo won it, I think, 2014. Junior, big Colombian club. Independiente del Valle, we know and we've talked about them extensively on the pod. Can't wait to see them, especially now they're in this kind of period of transition, Oli, uh, with, with one or two of their key players leaving. Uh, Atletico Nacional, they've won it before. That's not even mentioning, Oli, in that second stage of qualification, the big Brazilian clubs that are going to drop into it, the big Chilean clubs that are going to drop into it. So I think that second stage of qualification is going to be really, really good. Yeah, at the moment, um, the Chilean side's not quite as grandiose, I don't think, as as we'd like from from Chilean football. Well, Palestino, you know, have been in and around the competition in the Commonwealth Sudamericana for the last couple of years. Union Española, I'm not going to pretend that I know a lot about them as a as a Chilean side. I think the um, the sexier part is the Brazilian teams that are going to drop into it because there are a lot of quality Brazilian sides in and around at the moment. It's Grêmio and Fluminense that will be those two sides taking those two spots to go into the second stage of qualifying. Sao Paulo could still drop into it because I think there's three games left. Most teams have played 35 games in the Brazilian league. So Sao Paulo could still drop into that fifth and sixth spot that would put them in the qualifiers. Uh, Atletico Mineiro are probably just about safe four points clear of Fluminense. Yeah, And then there's a big ask maybe for Corinthians or, or one of the other sides to kind of run the table in the last three games or so and hope that results fall elsewhere, which is a very big ask indeed. But if Gremio get sidetracked by the Copa do Brasil or if they win it and take that spot, I mean, there's still quite a lot of permutations where a number of these big sides in Brazil can still 
get involved. Also, Flamengo coming back to look like they're going to pressure Internacional yeah. suddenly for the league title. Yeah, but- I did see that as it stands then. So there's three games left to play in Brazil, right, Oli? Yeah, Sao Paulo yeah. have a game in hand over the, everybody else in the top sure. six. But into top spot with 66 points. Flamengo just a point shy with 65. So, um, And then yeah. Nacho Fernandez has been brought in at Atletico Mineiro to try and make the final push to see if they can mount some sort of a league title challenge as well from third right at the death. What do you think of that move? Is it definitely gone through? Again, I saw it was right on the brink. I know he's been angling for a move to Brazil for like two or three years now, I think, once the I, bigger wage packet and Joel's talked about that. Yeah. I don't know if it's confirmed, completed or not. It's close. I find it... F- sad to be honest because that's clearly a financial gains move i don't know what you're gaining from going to atletico Mineiro, a side that haven't been as prolific consistently in the Copa Libertadores than river plate if you want a consistent and you know exactly where you stand in that river plate side and you know exactly how you're going to play and what role you've got you are a key player in gachado's system you go to brazilian football you know, there is a chance that maybe something doesn't take. There is a chance that Atletico Mineiro fall apart in continental competition. You wouldn't you wouldn't look at River Plate going into a new Libertadores campaign in the middle of April and go, unless they get a tremendously hard group, you wouldn't think, oh, they're going to struggle this year, mm-hmm. regardless of what happens with that squad, really, because of Gachado and because he knows his players and that squad so well. Atletico Mineiro, I don't... You wouldn't no, say could, the same I, thing about... Look, I'm not going to judge a player for, for taking more money, especially I think Nacho Fernandez is, must be 31 maybe or 30. So I don't blame him for if he could double his wages or something similar, such as the way of the wage structures in Argentine football and Brazilian football. But yeah, mm. I mean, Gachado looks as though the taxi drivers were right all along. He's going to stay till the end of 2021. And so regardless of who's in that squad, you'd fancy River to, to go deep in the in the Libertadores. So yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting move. Um, I d- it's not a great look for Argentine football in general. If, if you know, Hernan Crespo, jumping ship are going to Brazil, the players, you know, potentially going there for more money. So it's, yeah, it's it's, it's something to, to keep an eye out on. But uh, yeah, the, the qualifying stages, Oli, which we could talk about in more depth uh, and we will talk about in more depth down the line. But but the second stage of that looks really interesting. And we'd ha- we've got to mention Guarani as well in the first stage. You gave us great entertainment. At, um, you know, with, with big bad, big bad Boba, Boba Dia, uh, in, in the tournament last year, There's, that reference will have gone over the heads of quite a lot of people up here who, <laughs> who, who, who didn't watch the Copa Libertadores from the first round of qualifying. But uh, yeah, it, it's always fun watching Guarani. I always want to call him the Babadook Boba Dia as well. You know, terrorizing defenders and turning up in their nightmares. I mean, there's just something about him that reeks of charisma and class. Yeah, those, those are going to be fun. I think, to watch, especially if it's Universidad Católica against Libertad. You know, it's a fairly big Ecuadorian side taking on Libertad if it falls that way. Uh, Junior are going to play either Caracas or Universidad Cesar Vallejo from Peru, which I'm not sure there is as much impetus on that, but Junior are an exciting side to see. And then Atletico Nacional, you know, huge side from Colombia. Yeah, big, big, yeah. And if it's them against Guarani, if Guarani get past Royal Parry, I mean, again, that's a that's a big tie. That's a potential group stage tie in the second stage of the qualifiers. I think it'd be remiss of us at this stage not just to read out the first stage of qualifying for the Copa Libertadores. Sorry, Oli. Liverpool of Uruguay against Universidad Católica. Universidad Cesar Vallejo against Caracas. I mean... One for the purists, that. That's, that's a purist tie. 
<laughs> and then Royal Paris against Guarani. So those are the three ties in the first stage of qualification, um, which take place over the 23rd and 24th of Feb and the 2nd and 3rd of March. But of course, the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast will be back in due course to update you accordingly on the qualification stages. Hey, once Independiente del Valle get involved, I'm all back in on this competition. So I'm going to be in from the almost the ground up on this one. So don't you fret. Don't you fret. Late, late nights are coming through March, April, May, June for this game.